Well, good morning. If you're visiting, I feel compelled to say a special good morning to you. So good morning to you visitors. Last week was Easter, and how do you beat Easter? I don't know, because it's the best. It's, it's, uh, it's our Christmas morning as Christians, because it has nothing to do with gifts. It has everything to do with the most significant act in human history, and that's that Jesus conquered sin, death, and the grave. And then we get to live the rest of our life with that reality before us, in front of us, running before us. And, and I, I feel this morning, uh, to transition to our, our fresh topic, I, just, I want us to keep before us that, uh, especially that last word for, for fathers and that last song, that refrain, that our Father's running after us. I feel like that's, that's, the, that's the word for us this morning. When we, when we understand that our Father, what He did for us through His Son, and that He is continually pursuing us, and He is after us, not to get us, but to establish us, and adopt us, transform us, and release us to partner with Him in bringing about the restoration of all things is the most amazing, amazing reality we could ever be in. So we just say yes to that today, Father, and Holy Spirit, have your way as we open your word and as we ask you uh, in this next season, how do we continue to foster that as a family in Jesus' name? All right, so you can go ahead and open your Bibles if you have them. I do not have notes again. Scratch that. I have notes. I just don't have slides on the screen. Uh, I will get better at that as the weeks go on. Part of the process is that I am... Uh, I'm, I've really been stirred to make sure that what we're sharing is on the Father's heart and that He's breathing on it. And so it's been one of those where I, I keep kind of going back and forth. And I really feel that um, we're, we're hitting the, the breath of God today. But if you want to rewind a little bit to the beginning of the year, we had three words that, that Sue and I shared over 2019 for, for the house. And those words were that we needed to start the year fostering prayer and lifestyle of prayer, a family around prayer. And then we just got out of a series uh, harping in the kindest of ways around relationships, healthy relationships, healthy family, and, and how relationship with our, our Father, one another, your closest relationships always stir up the deepest stuff inside of you. And the Father cares about that intimately, intimately, intimately. And the third word that, that we got around the new year as we were praying was this concept of sacred rhythms. And I think we've, we've continually reminded us that that's been kind of simmering under the surface. And what, what the heck is sacred rhythms? That, I think, is a term that is a bit, maybe it's not mysterious to you. It's a term used a lot in spiritual formation. We have quite a few people here that have like studied spiritual formation or gotten degrees in that field. Let me, who of you have studied the realms of spiritual formation of some kind, way, shape, or form? Yeah, quite a few of you guys in here. Well, there's, there's an author named uh, uh, Ruth Haley Barton who, who says this about, she wrote a book called Sacred Rhythms, and uh, I've been, well, Sue's actually been reading it more intimately than I have, but she says this about the, the topic. She says, do you long for a deep, fundamental change in your life with God? Do you desire a greater intimacy with God? Do you, do you wonder how you might truly live your life as God created you to live it? And then she says that spiritual disciplines, which often gets brought into this equation, spiritual disciplines are activities that open us up to God's transforming love 
and the changes that only God can bring about in our lives. She then suggests picking up on the monastic tradition of creating a rule of life that allows for regular space for the practice of spiritual disciplines. And then looking into understanding uh, these, she, she highlights seven key disciplines along with practical ideas for weaving, weaving them into everyday life. So the concept is taking the disciplines that, that, that we learn from the Word and embedding them into daily life. She then, she then talks about the concept of um, we have a choice to establish our own sacred rhythm. Meaning that there's a sense of do these things, and I think oftentimes we can still get religious, meaning I'm a good Christian because, you know, I pray, I fast, I read the word, I, I do these disciplines, these monastic modes that, if you're like me, I think, when I think of these things, I think of absolute boredom, and it's okay, to, it's okay if that's where you're at. Because I believe that we're going to come out of boredom and in the purpose with what it means to practice the life of being a believer. So she encourages us to establish our own sacred rhythm, and that's the most important choice you can make with your life. I'll say this. We are in a season of life as, as a family, as parents that keep making babies, where we, we have had to learn the concept of, of a rhythm with the Lord in a way that I've never had to before. Uh, I'll tell you this, my, my heroes these days, my heroes used to be, well, growing up, I had all kinds of heroes. You think of like superheroes, I was a big Superman fan. Superman's still kind of like the best of all superheroes. He kind of invented the cape. <clears throat> no one can wear blue tights like Superman. Nobody. I mean, if you think about what he's wearing, he's wearing spandex with red underwear on top of the spandex with a fake yellow buckle. Do you understand the confidence it takes to wear that outfit? I think the, the, the creators of Superman were sitting there going like, how can we make such a stud of a hero that we can literally put him in anything? Anything. And everyone still considers him a hero. Most of us, if we wore that outfit, there'd be so many people calling the police. And just imagine if he had a mustache, like what would happen to that? I would, anyway, I, but he, Superman was my hero growing up, and I thought nothing of it. The outfit or anything else, he was kind of the best. But as I grew in my, my spiritual walk with the Lord, my heroes changed a bit. And then they kind of turned into the the revivalists of old, or even, even those modern, modern men and women who would walk around with just amazing testimonies of, of healing, of, of, of the spiritual realms bowing their knee to Jesus. Those that had stories of encountering God in just profound ways where God would, would shake them and shift their entire life. And it doesn't matter really what stream you're part of. Uh, whether, whether you're, we named our cat Wigglesworth after Smith Wigglesworth, who was a completely uneducated uh, man who got rocked, I believe in his 50s, with uh, the Spirit of God and, and transformed nations, really, because of his ministry. D.L. Moody, we, we went to Moody Bible Institute, still um, connected and work for them. D.L. Moody has an amazing encounter with God as part of his history, and certainly a hero of the faith, um, but not necessarily part of some of the other traditions of those that have the, the miracle working power coming out of their ministry. 
So heroes, well, how, do we, how do we define a hero? How do we define a hero in the Christian faith? And we certainly see the New Testament that there's, that there's just no excuse for a lifetime of, of walking with Jesus that doesn't see miracle working power. Prayer is meant to be answered. If we live a lifestyle where our prayers are not being answered, we're not living the life of prayer that the believer is meant to live. It doesn't mean that everything we pray, like it's magic words that just happens. What it means though is that it's so normal for the prayers of the saints to have response where we draw on the realities of heaven here on earth so that when we pray, things actually shift and change. Where the people outside our community recognize the fact that I may not be cool with everything these weirdo groups are doing, but I know that something happens when they pray. It's normal for your prayers to be answered. It's normal for your prayers to shift things, for your prayers to change things, for your prayers to change the realm of possibilities for those that you're praying for. That's absolutely normal and expected in our life. We should expect when we pray, we should be more shocked when things don't happen than when they do. That's the life of knowing that you're, you're somewhere operating in the realm that Jesus has for you. Now, when you're not there, it's not about a guilt and shame thing. It's not about that you're lesser than or, or that you're supposed to go pick out some kind of like secret sin. Unless you have a secret sin, you might want to deal with it. But the point is, I think oftentimes people then go, like, oh, there's something wrong with the person. And I think that that can also hinder people's receptiveness to, to our lifestyle of prayer or anything else. So heroes, what do these heroes look like? Maybe you've got a prayer warrior. And uh, you know, as I've gotten older, the heroes have shifted even more. I still love the people that have the incredible testimonies of God invading with like electricity. But I've, I've fallen more in love for the grandmother who just sat in her living room with her Bible for 60 years. We met a woman in Columbus. What was her name, Agnes? Isn't that just the best grandmother name? It's like, did you make that up, Agnes? You know she's, you know she's a grandmother if your name is... If any of you... Na- I love the name Agnes. I think if you've named your kids, I wouldn't be surprised if someone in L.A. Named her, started naming kids Agnes. I love the name. So I don't mean to say it's just an old person's name, but I... That's true. She wasn't actually a grandmother because she never had children. She didn't... What did she say? Slept like two hours a night, maybe? Maybe three hours a night? All the way through her life. All the way through her life. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord summoned her when she was a young woman and said that, I want you to give your, your life to spending time with me. And so she, I don't believe after a certain point, as a very young woman, um, wasn't looking for a husband, uh, wasn't looking for a family. She spent every night in the presence of God. And... Uh, we had good friends that were a part of her spiritual community in Columbus and it was the absolute norm for, for if she came to a worship night or even any sort of gathering where you'd see glitter all over her whether it was in her Bible, on her hands, or on her face completely normal thing I saw it with my own eyes and it wasn't glitter if you didn't catch the, where I was going with it it was, it was an unexplainable heavenly resource that she, would, she wouldn't make a big deal about it. You say, um, Agnes, there's uh, a little heavy on the teenage glitter stuff you've got going on. And then she just kind of would shrug it off. It's like, oh, yes, this is a problem I have. <laughs> Obviously, it wasn't a problem, but it, you could sense the time that she spent with the Lord. You could sense the time that she spent with the Lord. 
Her priority wasn't having a great story to tell at the end of the day or the end of the week. Uh, and yet, miracles would happen all around her, but what she would constantly just talk about is her relationship with Jesus, her time with Jesus. She was so in love with Jesus. And I wonder if that can be the, the target of everything else in our chaotic lives. Can we start to experience a relational dynamic in each of our lives, but that is so communal in nature that it draws people into this contagious reality that these people are saturated in the glory of falling in love over and over and over again with this Jesus. And so she's become a hero. Another, uh, I don't know if it's comical or not, but all parents have become heroes in ways that I could only wish to tell you. Mothers in particular, because they're better at being parents. And, and so, for instance, I don't know if I'm kidding or not. I think I should, I should say I'm kidding, so I'm kidding. But I don't know if I'm kidding in my own personal life. They are just better at being parents, I think, most of the time. Uh, example, yesterday, if you watch my Instagram feed, I, I posted a completely inappropriate um, video of, of that adorable little chunk of poop uh, who woke up happy to see her dad. I walked in her room, and just like the throne room that's just the, 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 the whiffs of heaven, the whiffs of hell came out of that room with her smile. They kind of balance, they're balancing each other, and, and I, I take her to the room thinking that, oh, she just had a, a nocturnal deuce, which she had, but she'd also managed to yank her diaper down into the depths of her. We have this little, little sleep sack, which if you ever watch like The Simpsons, that little girl that's always walking with the, the thing that, that, that blanket doesn't come off. And, um, and so we have that on her. I guess it uses kind of like a safety net when she pulls her, when she pulls it off. So she pulled that thing off and I realized that as I unzipped and the fumes even elaborated even further. Just imagine like, like the best of restaurants, but on, the, on like the other end of, of positivity. And, and it, it hit me, and then, it, and then my eyes met with what was hitting my nose. And, and then I, I just had to pause. Kind of like how you pause when you walk in and the presence of God is so thick. It was, it was like that because the presence was so thick. And, and so I, I don't know when I called you, but, but it, was kind of like I, it was kind of like a prayer to God, but more like a prayer to my wife. And sometimes you demand the Lord, uh, demand things of him. And sometimes I demand things of my wife. And in that moment, it was, you, help here, now. <laughs> A slightly less polite tone. And, and so, so she ran. So she ran. I could never find the wipes. That's one of, like, if you want to know what we fight about most, it's that I can't find the flaming wipes, ever. I never know where the wipes are. They're never in the same spot. She has a GPS, always knows where they are. I never know where they are. We have 20 boxes in our house somewhere. I can't find any of them when I need them. If you want to know what we're fighting about, it's about the wipes. It's about the wipes. 90% of the time. I, here they are. Well, I couldn't find the wipes, so I just carried the nugget into the bathtub. But the point is, is that there's something about the, the, the peace of the mother that, that I needed in that scenario. And, and, and I, I say all that to say that, that I, I have lost count of the testimonies where 
where, where parents of, of young ones are, are sitting around where they're doing the dishes or changing a diaper, probably not that bad of a diaper, or they're, they're doing some menial task that no one will ever see. And, and they say, and then, and then I just felt the Lord speak to my heart that I needed to call this person, or I needed to stop and pray for a moment, or I needed to do this, 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 and this. And I'll be honest, those are the things that are the biggest struggle for me, because in that moment, I don't stop and pray. I stop and stress. And those who can live a life connected in the middle of the mundane, they understand the relational aspect that we're meant to live in. Because when life squeezes you, when life isn't full of the fun and the fairies and the frou-frou, that's when you find out what you're really made of. Because those of us that have encountered God in some way, shape, and form, we can always go and have a delightful experience. We can go on a missions trip. We can go out with our friends. We can, we can go after, you know, okay, I'm a little bit down. I need to go connect with that person. I encourage you guys to do that. That's why we have community. Allow each other to pick each other up. But what do you do in that moment where it's like, I'm stranded to the house, or I'm stranded to my mundane job, or I'm stranded to whatever it is, is the non-excited thing, and are you still able to commune with your lover Jesus? Those who can do that are those who can call down fire from heaven. Those are the ones that know how to bring the miracle when it's needed. But you cannot sacrifice the lifestyle of the mundane. And what's amazing to me is that those who embrace the mundane don't consider it mundane. They don't consider it mundane at all. Because the presence of God with you is not a mundane thing. It's the most wonderful gift we could ever have. Ah. And so hero for me are those who can never be mundane in their relational connectivity with Jesus. Those are the heroes. Those are the heroes. Each and every one of you can be that hero. We have access to that same place, that same place. We have to be those people. When we can become those people, we can sustain the move of God with the fire, with the, the salvations that we don't know. There's so many people. There's, there's so many miracles we can't keep up with. There's so much activity in the life of the city that, that people are constantly pulling on us with need. How do, we, how do we abide in that? We can abide in that when we abide now. Can we abide now? Can we abide now? So spiritual formation. I feel that we are in a season where we're, gonna, we're asking, and I feel like I'm trying to figure out what does that look like in the life of Frontier? What does our spiritual formation as a body look like? And, and I've been gleaning from different places. I've got um, uh, Dallas Willard has been a, a really helpful resource, and I've, I found a, a couple different people that have used Dallas Willard's resources to, to get into this, um, to this reality. Um, Frontier Ventures and Prudence, um, what's Prudence's last name? Dancy, yeah. And uh, where's Kara's really good friends with Prudence. I know many of others of you are as well. She has this whole kingdom training she does, where it's called Kingdom Being, Kingdom Living, Kingdom doing, kingdom being, kingdom living, and kingdom doing. Uh, a church up in Portland called Bridgetown Church, they, they utilize similar dynamics in their spiritual formation in the life of their church, and they, they break it down to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And, and these things kind of uh, encapsulate 
generally the concept of, okay, being with Jesus. What is that? Well, that, that would include things like your daily routine, the disciplines, the practices of Jesus, things like Sabbath, scripture, prayer, fasting, silence and solitude, these kind of lifestyle rituals. That's the being with Jesus. Then the, the, the becoming like Jesus, what is that? That's things like dealing with your past, discovering your identity, forgiveness, community, the, your rule of life. And then thirdly, there's this concept of uh, doing, doing the works. So that'd be how you live, you preach, you prophesy, you eat with sinners, you stand up against political and religious corruption, you peacemake, stand up for justice, heal, what have you, the acts, the works. And so if you, if you just encapsulate the life of a believer, you can see how our spiritual formation, what we do, could be kind of summarized in those things. Be with him, become like him, do what he did. That's what it's like to become a disciple of Jesus. And I think that's helpful. I think those things are really helpful to have that structure. Uh, I think it's interesting the language, though, uh, that Prudence uses is around kingdom. So the kingdom, how do we become a part of Jesus' message was all about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like this parable says. And, and his message was about the kingdom, 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 kingdom. I'm doing a kingdom. It's not about going to heaven. It's about bringing kingdom here, the heaven on earth. How he taught us to pray, on earth as it is in heaven, his kingdom is, is this tension of the kingdom of heaven invading the kingdom of earth so that heaven and earth unite as one. So it is about kingdom, and it is about discipleship. In fact, I don't think Jesus differentiates between discipleship and his kingdom. I think the words and the language that we use are, are just something that we need to use as language to help people get it, help people get what Jesus was doing. So as I've been kind of processing some of that, I've, I've just thought about, like, how, do we, how do we encapsulate that discipleship organism and that kingdom organism into our DNA at Frontier? And I, I continually feel like we're having to reintroduce the concept of biblical community and the concept of family. Family has so many misconceptions and it has, for everyone, some level of baggage, whether good or bad, with it. And there's, there's an element where I feel that we have to reintroduce that concept where people come in here and say, how does Frontier do family? And they go, ah, oh, it's like this. This is how it makes you feel. This is, this is what it looks like. I, I may not be able to describe it in, in intimate, descriptive detail, but I can experience it. And I do feel like Jesus makes it very clear that the kingdom, his kingdom and discipleship was always encapsulated with how he described family. God calls himself a father. He sent his son. We're his brothers and sisters. We're adopted into sonship and daughtership. It's all familial language. And I think at Frontier, we have to continually reintroduce that concept to one another. And so I feel like when we take those elements, being, becoming, living, doing. Here's, here's what I think we should have these phrases be. How are we being, our being, being with the family? Being with the family. Becoming, becoming like a member of the family. Here's our little circle. Being with the family, becoming like a member of the family, and living like a member of the family. Being, becoming, living. Encapsulates those same things. And, and within that, the being is really that realm of abiding. Hosting the presence. Those disciplines are really practices. Sabbath, scripture, prayer, fasting, solitude. The focus in the abiding, though, is where? Is it on ministry? It's on you and him. You and him. 
Jesus laid the foundation of his ministry on silence and solitude going away for 40 days, prayer, fasting, and battling temptation through the word. I found that many of the people that fall, whether they're church leaders or they're in a really amazing season where, where, where just huge impact experiences and, and the power of God is just working through them, when they fall off, whether severely or gradually, you ask them what's going on in their life in this realm of being with the family. Are you spending time in silence, in solitude with the Lord? Are you praying? Are you fasting? Are you spending time in the scriptures? I could almost guarantee you every time, no. Notice that the focus isn't, oh, you're not a good Christian. You're not doing your religious duties. It's nothing to do with it. You've, lo you've lost your connection to the family. And when that becomes our focus, it lays the foundation for all the power, all the impact, and dealing with the rest of the stuff. So it's not, it's not the end all. I'm not asking us all to become monks, though I have found a new, found appreciation for what they were doing, those in the monastic traditions. Becoming like a member of the family, I think we do that to a degree in our communities relatively well, where the focus, and we have to deal with our stuff. And the focus is, is taking yourself, realizing yourself and your stuff, self and stuff. So the focus of your being is on you and him. The focus of your becoming is on yourself and your stuff. And the focus of the living is on everyone else. The issue we tend to have is our identities of the world are built on our impact towards everyone else. Our identity as a child of God has nothing to do with our impact on everybody else. And we'll never have the impact on everyone else if we don't embrace who we are as our identities first with him. So we have to focus on him, others, and we have to focus on self and stuff to really have the other stuff. But at the same time, especially I think in the West, we think linearly, meaning like here's step A. When you complete that, you can go to step B. And when you complete step B, you can go to step C. We do this in everything from our... From our you know, kids' youth programs where you just promote. You know, I get, go up the black belt. I promote this. I go step by step, step by step. And there's places for all that. We we give we give steps of expertise. You know, our our CrossFit coaches are like level one, level two, elite master, like fitness guru to the heavens. I don't know how they just keep going up, but they they do. They have stuff like that. We do that within within businesses. You can get your qualifications, your credentials, and whatever. But in the kingdom, it doesn't work like that. Jesus sent out his disciples with power before they had spiritual maturity. And then, and then he exposes us to what happens when they don't have the maturity and the intimacy with him. So here's the invitation. You get all of it right now. You get to start doing all of it now. And yet when you start to feel yourself getting off kilter, you might want to explore what it's like to reintegrate just becoming a child again. You don't have to stop doing ministry to other people. You don't have to completely pull yourself out. 
But how many of you found that like it's actually a chore to do ministry when you're not connected to the Father? It's a chore. And it was never meant to be a chore. And no one wants to be around you when your when your interaction, your ministry is a chore to you. Because then you're not fun. And Jesus was super fun. <laughs> I, th I think that's why he leapt for joy when they came back and reported all the impact they were having after he released the 72. He leapt for joy in the, the original language. It was like a really, it, the Greek literally means a super flamboyant, awkward dance. That's what it means in my kind of interpretation of the Greek. It's, it's, Jesus went kind of crazy, the fact that they were getting it, the, the power that they had. But then he did draw them back, and he goes, but rejoice in this, that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So what did he do? Did he say, oh, ah, you kind of over-rejoiced. Back to square one. I'm taking away your black belt. Here's your white belt. It doesn't even pop off your outfit, Peter. See, it's just white, 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 white. See my blue sash here? I got the blue belt. You can work up to that. It wasn't like that. I don't know where we got the blue sash from. I don't know. Anyway, no, no one got that. Okay. <laughs> The point is, he's qualified you now, not because of your works. We want to qualify because of our works. So I told you to go to Luke 18. I need to hurry. Luke 18 says, says this. We have the parable of the persistent widow. Then we've got the, the Pharisees and tax collectors. Oh, I, I wanted to give us a little bit more um, of, a, of a feel of Jesus' lifestyle. And then we're going to get into the rich ruler in verse 18. So... You can turn here if you want, but I'm just going to summarize chapter 17, 18, and 19 really quickly. I want us to get a glimpse of Jesus' lifestyle because Jesus can heal the sick, go to be alone with the Father, deal with forgiveness of sin, and he can do all this in an afternoon. And I think we have to get out of this mode. We have to get out of our modes and get into what it's like to be in the family. In chapter 17, we see that Jesus is dealing with uh, temptations to sin, and he's teaching them on that. Then he cleanses ten lepers, he's, so he's healing. And then he's asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom would come. So he's teaching, and then he's addressing the religious corruption. And then in chapter 18, he goes and tells some, some parables. Uh, again, parables in the tax collector. He's standing up against the political and religious corruption. And then he, he says, let the children come to me. He's willing to stop. Notice his pace. I feel like there's something in the pace of Jesus. His mode of of silence and solitude always allowed him to pick up what the pace of the Father was doing. There's all this need of people wanting to be touched and, and draw something from him, and he's willing to stop for the children. Then this rich ruler comes. We'll talk about that in a second. And this guy's dealing with stuff of the past and his stuff. Then Jesus foretells of his death, and then he heals a blind beggar, and then he eats with sinners, because we have Zacchaeus in that whole next section. And then he goes, and it says, Verse 28 of, 19, of chapter 19, Jesus went on ahead and he goes up to Jerusalem. He went on ahead, meaning I think he went on ahead alone because he needed some alone time with his father. And when he drew near, he saw the city and he weeps. See the pace? See the lifestyle that Jesus has? When you just take it into the context of, of how the gospel is trying to show us the lifestyle that he's bringing them into. And then... It's in, it's in that posture that he cleanses the temple because he sees the house of his family being violated. And this holy, righteous anger wells up inside of him that this is wrong. 
This is a place of prayer. This is my Father's house. This is the place that people are supposed to come and connect with the Father. To them, it's the only place they could connect with the Father. And he sees that violated. And he freaks out. It's okay to freak out sometimes. But what I want to highlight today is this rich young ruler. In, in, again, this is chapter 18, verse 18. The ruler asks him, and he calls him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He's, he's targeting the fact that, that the guy's trying to, to paint a title on him. Titles are huge in the scripture. And he says, good teacher. There's a lot more to that in the title. But in the title, the guy is kind of exposing his heart. In some ways, it's almost like he's projecting on Jesus. I recognize that you're a good, the goodness, the goodness of God, good teacher. He's, he's kind of trying to say, I see something on you. And Jesus is exposing the fact that here's an issue with you. You actually don't carry good. In that culture, the rich man is considered a good man because God has blessed him. And so unlike a, a leper or a sick person that God has obviously cursed in the Jewish culture, the rich man's been blessed in the Jewish culture. And Jesus is establishing the fact that you call me good, you don't have the right to call me good because you're not good. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. So he's, he's responding, okay, you want to know what you have to do. To, enter, to, to inherit eternal life. So in other words, the guy says, he jumps right to the process of the circle. Okay, what do I have to do? Be, become, just, just tell me what I have to do. Because I want to do that. Because I think I've done a pretty good job. And everyone's telling me I've done a pretty good job because I'm loaded. And he says, yeah, do all these things. Adultery, don't do it. Murder, don't do it. Don't steal. False witness, honor your father and mother. I've done all these things, Jesus. I've done all these things since I was a little boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing, one thing, one thing you still lack. Do you think it was one thing this guy still lacked? He lacked a lot more than one thing. But Jesus didn't bother with that. It was almost like he sarcastically saying, oh, yeah, you're so close. Uh, one thing. One thing. Uh, I'd like you to do this sell everything you have and distribute it to the poor. Then you'll have the treasure in heaven. You want to do something? Do that. And what exactly was that guy unable to do? I, we probably know the story. He heard this and he became very sad because he was really rich. I sometimes wonder, well, if he wasn't that rich, would it not have been that sad? But he was really rich, so it's like, <laughs> how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? So notice this, the followers of Jesus were, were really perplexed by this. It's hard for us to get into the context of the culture because we see, okay, yeah, evil, evil, distorted, rich person that doesn't get it, so selfish, blah, blah, blah. They did not see it that way. So if you can alleviate just the wealth and the money side of this guy, he had the thing that everyone else thought was the blessing that showed that you are a good person doing everything you're supposed to do. So just erase the wealth and just say, this is the guy everyone thinks is doing fab. That guy. 
and he goes to Jesus, and everyone's thinking like, oh, yeah, this is a good question. We're thinking, terrible question. Everyone else is thinking, good question. The good people are thinking, good question. Good teacher, good question. What must I do to be saved then if even this guy? So what's the real issue with this guy? Oh, that he's just holding on to something he can't let go? Kind of. What's the root issue? We all have needs as human beings. Maslow talks about human needs and all that, and I, I've talked about it, I think, a couple of times. But what's this guy's need? I'd like to argue this guy's need was certainty. He had a lot of certainty in his life, especially in a culture that had so much uncertainty. The certainty brought him control and security and identity. Everything surrounded this concept in his life, this certainty and this comfort that he had. And Jesus was saying, follow me. The point wasn't any of the other. It wasn't the money. It was follow me. It was discipleship. Kingdom, discipleship. You want to come into my family? You have to surrender the stuff that gets in the way of being part of my family. Your issue is certainty. What is it in our life where we have certainty that might be a similar barrier to our intimacy? How is certainty in your life a barrier to your intimacy with the Lord? We all have areas of certainty. It could be your job. It could be your finances. It could also be your family, your earthly family. Your certainty could be uh, all sorts of things, your location, and maybe you need to move, and you're scared to death of that. Maybe it's your, your giftedness in some area. That's your certainty. The, the thing that you have, I know this is my place that I can put a barrier up around and people can't mess with. I've got some level of, of, of control and comfort around this. Notice that if you, if you study the scripture, him giving his money away wasn't not doing something with it. It was allowing this surrender where he was giving that thing that was his gift in partnering with heaven. He couldn't submit the comfort, control, and the certainty that he didn't have the control of things being certain, and he was giving that to the Lord. He wanted to be saved without having Jesus as Lord. That's why the title goes, Savior and Lord. But what's the Lord of your life that needs to be set free? I have areas my entire life, and I think for many of us, it's going to be subtle things, subtle things that take on lordship, they bring certainty for us. What is it that if, if it got taken away, you'd feel like, well, now do I, what do I have to live for now? What is that area? If that got taken, that you'd wander around like a lost, wounded duck, looking for purpose. Because when your purpose becomes aligned with your family, it cannot be taken because your family's eternal. That's the gospel. It cannot be taken. It cannot be taken. The things you're holding on to can be taken from you. If you're holding on to anything that can be taken from you, 
You've just chosen where you're going to level off. I want to close with a, 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 couple, a couple concepts that have been really transformational for me in my life. Uh, and and here's, here's the, the final thing out of that passage that I do want us to not miss. Who can be saved? Verse 26. But he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will, receive, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. I think it might be the only time that, the, that one of the disciples or the disciples in general patted themselves on the back for something they had done and Jesus said, that's right, you did, son. Most of the time he's critiquing them. Notice here, Peter actually gets a pat on the back. He said, that's right, you did. You gave up everything for me. And watch me pay dividends on that in this life and the next. And within that, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Did you ever realize that that phrase, nothing is impossible with God, that came out of this passage, this passage that deals with certainty. Certainty. What are you holding on to? What has certainty in your life that you haven't surrendered? That's what he wants. So I want to end with this. Um, one of the books that, that really transformed my life early on in my uh, awakening of sorts in my own life was um, When Heaven Invades Earth. And uh, I just want to read a passage about that, um, out, of that out of that book. And it's, it's got this section on hosting the presence of God. Because I, I believe that if we're going to focus on sacred rhythms, the sacred rhythm of the believer is learning to host the Spirit of God. And those practices of prayer and fasting and everything else is for no other reason than we are learning to carry Him with us everywhere. From our dirty diapers to our boardrooms. And it says this, Our greatest privilege in life is to learn to be a person that God will rest upon. He is in all of us by a covenant and will never leave. But he is not upon all of us. The challenge we face is to learn to be people who host the presence of the Lord as our greatest calling in life. While he is in me for my sake, he's upon me for yours. When the Lord rests upon a person, there is actually an atmospheric change that takes place wherever that person goes. As our own faith increases... In conjunction with our realm of authority and responsibility, we are allowed to carry a greater weight of presence into an environment. The reach of his presence is transformational in nature, changing the climate that, gives, that people live under. It's, it is what happened on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God fell on 120 people. It completely changed the appetite of a city that only days earlier rose up to crucify our Jesus. After the Spirit of God began to manifest and rest upon this group of just 120, thousands spontaneously dropped all they were doing to come and gather around this presence. It was only 9 o'clock in the morning, and they came because of the atmosphere of the presence of God Himself and the hunger that's created in the hearts of people. This is what normal hunger for God looks like. 
as we become faithful to host the presence of the Lord. In other words, as we become faithful in abiding, as we become faithful in being as part of this family. We find a tension between two realities, that he's been given to us without measure, and that we are the ones that actually put the limitations on that measure. Though all of the measurements are set up on our end of the equation, we can experience the measure of presence that we are willing to jealously guard. Whatever you will jealously guard, that is the measure you will have on a consistent basis. All measurements in the kingdom exist for us to pursue this concept of increase, progress. All prayer is meant to have impact. All people are meant to have progress. All depression and anxiety is a result of you realizing that there's something in your life, maybe all of your life, where there feels like there is no progress and that you are just wading water in a cesspool that's not moving anywhere and the river of life is not connected to your life. That's the root of depression. And the whole kingdom is based on this principle. The faithful use of what you've been given is what qualifies you for more. This is the process that I believe we're going to experience as a family both in our coming days and that the globe is going to experience for the fullness of the kingdom to be manifest. And it's the heart of God for this kind of glory to cover the entire earth. Now I want to leave us with six things. Six things that uh, this, this, uh, this author, um, Bill Johnson, said that transformed my life. And notice that the first five things, it's talking about how do I, if you're just asking the question, well, how do I increase? Okay, this is great. All this monastic talk of spending time in the presence and abiding and doing all these things is great. I believe it. I'm still not excited. I really want to see power. I think that that's fine. I want us to be people that are so hungry for the power of God to meet our homes and our friends and our city that we go after it with unusual, unusual and extraordinarily odd ways. I heard one, one church says, one of their mission statements was, we will do anything short of sin to bring people closer to Jesus. I kind of like that. Is that my worship team? They, they're under the glory. <laughs> On that note, our, our worship team can start to come up. <laughs> hey, she just knew it was time. She just knew it was time. The worship team can start to come up. But here's the, here's the six things. How do I increase in a lifestyle of the miraculous? It's the same answer to how do you increase in a style of intimacy. Prayer, study, reading, laying on of hands, associations, and obedience. And I'm going to go into them a little bit. But these things are about abiding with Jesus. If you want to walk in power, if you want to see the things that you want to see breakthrough in, be with him. Get excited about being with him today. We're going to respond in worship. One aim today. Get captivated with your father who's captivated with you. And let's attack the mundane with the expectation of the impossible. And how do we do that? Prayer. 
Be specific, be relentless in praying for miracles in every part of your life. Bring the promises of God before him in your pursuit. He hasn't forgotten what he said and he does not need our reminder. Mm -hmm. Study. The most obvious place for study is in the scriptures. Put the word in front of you. Spend months reading and rereading the gospels. Look for models to follow. Look especially at all the references of the kingdom and ask God to open the mysteries of the kingdom to you. The right to understand such things belongs to the saints who are willing to obey. Read. Find the books that have been written by the generals of God's army. Those who truly do the stuff. There's a great storehouse of information of those if you're willing to pursue it. Don't forget the great leaders of the healing revivals of, of even the 50s of our own past century. And don't be afraid to go into the to the halls of the centuries past. If you're afraid of reading about those who later fell in sin and deception, many of those did. Stay away from Gideon, stay away from Samson, stay away from Solomon and the Proverbs. We must learn to eat the meat and chew the bones. I like that, eat the meat and chew the bones until it is disintegrate. You can throw the bones, chew the bones, either way, don't stumble over the bones. And number four, laying on of hands. What is that? That's to pursue men and women of God who carry anointings in their lives. Pursue the grandmothers who can spend time all night long without sleeping in the presence of God. Pursue those who've got the testimonies of healing the sick. Pursue, pursue those who, who hear God's voice constantly and are always ready to give a word. Pursue those who've got the word of God memorized in their belly. Have them pray for you that that same tenacious love of the word would go deep into your spirit. Associations. King David was known for killing Goliath in his youth. Yet there's four other giant killers in scripture. They were all men who walked with David. You need a family that you hang out with that changes you. If you want to kill a giant, hang around a giant killer. It rubs off. Grace is that which enables us to live in the kingdom. In part, it's received by how we respond to the gifts of Jesus. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We, we actually receive the grace to function from these gifts that Jesus gave us through people surrendered to him. If you hang around these people, you will think like these people. If you want to think more like an evangelist, hang out with an evangelist. Come to Alpha. If you want to think like a prophet, hang out with a prophetic person. If you, want to, if you want to pray like a prayer warrior, hang out with prayer warriors. If you want to be a better mother, hang out with really good moms. If you want to be an amazing dad, if you want to be an amazing friend, if you want to be amazing in business, hang out with amazing business leaders. We get the, fa we get the fact that we need mentors in our life. And I wonder how well we pull on the weight of the strengths of our body right here. And finally, obedience. No matter how much we prepare and want increase, and we hunger after things. It never comes without radical obedience. Let's stand.